It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This is the Court Today replay on C103. And hopefully everybody survived the bit of a cold spell and let it be behind us now and let us be able to forget about it and focus on the fact that spring has sprung and it's a gorgeous spring morning out there today as we welcome you along to the programme. John Paul has taken your calls, 1850-333-103. You can text or WhatsApp the programme to 86 103 You can really see calls uh, coming in this morning, uh, including on a topic that we're going to be covering in a couple of minutes and it's the issue of scam phone calls and Joan in Formoy has been on to us to say she has received four scam calls just in the last 50 minutes. She said she's absolutely tormented from them. Yesterday she said it was a particularly bad day with the calls from the person purporting to be Emily from Air. She said it's getting annoying at this stage and we've heard more people have got that and it's a recorded message um, I'm sure the one from Emily from Air trying to tell you that your broadband or something is going to be disconnected. And, and as I mentioned earlier, when I was on with Simon, we had John Paul reckons it was a record number of people calling us about scam calls every second call. John Paul took last week, and I wouldn't mind, but the phone lines were busy anyway, and they were constantly lighting up with people who just wanted to have a bit of a rant and to say, "Can we do anything about these scam calls?" So we're going to be talking about that on the program uh, today. But it is really, really annoying. I mean, we had some people last week were saying that they were so annoyed by the number of these calls that they were getting, particularly to their landlines, that they were thinking of having their landline disconnected. Now, if an a lot of people started doing that and already people have started giving up their landlines because, I mean, I certainly know there's only a handful of people I ring on my landline. I would do most of my calling now certainly is done on my mobile. Still have the landline. Times I wonder why do I have it. So I could understand if I started getting annoying phone calls I might go down that route and say oh to hell with it. Do I really need it? it? It'll be one less bill as well and the annoyance factor will be gone. And if more people start doing that and start deciding no I'll just get rid of the landline I don't really need it I can do everything I need to do on my mobile phone providers are really suddenly going to have to start to 
to wake up and smell the coffee because they are the ones who are going to be losing out. Now, I know the phone providers are doing the best that they can. I mean, last week, one of our uh, listeners had got on to air because they were tormented, is a great word that Joan has used, with the number of calls they were getting. And they were speaking to somebody in air who they themselves admitted that they are getting so frustrated that they're trying to keep on top of these scam callers but these people that are doing it are good at what they do and and as soon as one set of numbers is blocked they'll come up with another set of numbers and off they go again and for the majority of us it's just an annoyance we're not going to get involved with these people we're not going to be giving them our credit card or our banking details we're not going to allow them access to our computers but unfortunately there are still vulnerable people who will get that phone call think it's legit will hand over the information and that's why those scam callers keep going so we have to do all that we can to try to stop them and we will be talking about it as I say on the programme this morning so I know a lot of people will be interested uh, to hear can anything uh, be done to stop it but thank you Joan you are our first official call of this week and I imagine that is going to be the first of many because there just seems to be some kind of a blitz in the Cork area. I don't know if it's happening nationwide or they're just targeting the O2 area and have been for the last week or so. The nurses dispute and we are already getting calls in about this and we are endeavouring to try to get clarification on this from people who have a loved one, a child or an adult going to a day service for people with intellectual disabilities because the news has come out that the the INMO are now going to withdraw labour from day centres for the intellectually disabled as part of the extension of their industrial action. Last week, any groups like the Cope Foundation, the Brothers of Charity, St Joseph's Foundation, uh, Coaction in West Cork, none of them were affected by the INMO strike action. But now we're looking at what we're hearing this morning. It does look like they are all going to be affected. This week, the nurses go on strike tomorrow, Tuesday, the 5th, and again on Thursday, the 7th. Then they have three further strike action days planned for next week, the 12th, the 13th and the 14th. They're doing three days back to back next week. And then, of course, we heard at the weekend, the INMO met and they've decided they're adding two more further dates, which is going to be the 19th and the 21st, which will be the week after next week. So that will bring to eight strike days now in total. And of course, on each strike day, they reckon about 13,000 outpatient appointments get straight away cancelled. And then 2,000 surgeries on each of those days get cancelled. And now at the weekend, we're we're, uh, hearing the news that the intellectually, the daycare centres for the intellectually disabled are also being, to be included in that. Now, from, from what I can gather, residential units for intellectually disabled, they will, they will not be affected. It's only the daycare centres. Now, already last week and again tomorrow, we know that in the community, just over about 10,000 people, they were reckoned were affected by loss of service. Thousands of people, um, elderly people and people with intellectual disabilities that went to daycare uh, centres. Uh, some of them were affected last week, but now it looks like it's going to be extended to all of the centres with intellectual disabilities. So we're getting on to Inclusion Ireland 
to see if they can give us a definitive yay or nay because I'm assuming most people who had a loved one, including my own little one, she went on the bus this morning and would have gone to her daycare centre. So I'm assuming that when they come home this evening, they'll come home with a letter to say, if if it is if their centre is going to be affected they'll find out this evening which is, might leave it a little bit late for people who may have to organise cover or somebody to mind their uh, loved one because unfortunately uh, young children and adults that go to these centres they can't just be left at home because the centre is closed so alternative arrangements will have to be uh, made um, and we have found out that nurses will continue to provide a service at residential centres for intellectual disability so it's just the daycare centres cancer services dialysis and emergency service emergency surgery that all continues tomorrow maternity services obviously you can't tell a baby to wait they will continue including home births the local injury units they will not operate and we've got a local injury unit in Mallow and there's also one isn't there in Bantry Hospital they won't operate and obviously as was last week we will be telling people tomorrow to avoid A&E except it is absolutely necessary stay away from the A&E department tomorrow and we could be telling you the same thing on Thursday unless something happens today and the strike action gets called off. But anything that I listened into over the weekend, I tried to get as much commentary that I could listen to and that I could read about over the weekend. And it really looks like the INMO executive and the department and the HSE and the government, they just seem to be poles apart. You've got the nurses saying we want the pay parity we want this 12.5% and you have the government saying the message is clear we don't have the money we can't give it to you if we give it to you there will be a queue of people behind clamouring for pay increase and we simply can't afford it in the current economy and obviously also Brexit is also looming there in the background so I I certainly can't see anything happening today. I'd love to be proven wrong. I'd love to be coming on or to be waking up tomorrow morning or hearing later on today that the strike has been uh, cancelled. 1850 A listener says what baffles me about the nurses strike are the number of nurses employed by agencies and these nurses are always available at a moment's notice. We know and you discussed it last week on the programme that agency nurses are paid at a higher rate that cost the HSE more per hour. Uh, why are these nurses not employed full time? And there was a text in from uh, Anthony. They do get paid at a higher rate and obviously the agency gets gets a percentage for the number of nurses that they find for the various hospitals and uh, centres. But of course, it ultimately, while on the actual day that the nurse is working, it might cost the HSE more, but the HSE don't have to pay all everything else that goes with employing a full-time nurse, like sick pay, like holiday pay, uh, pension, PRSI contributions. There's a lot more when you employ a nurse. But, but you do make a valid point, Anthony, when we hear that there is an issue around retention of staff and that we don't have enough staff. If we don't have enough staff then where are all these staff that become available through the agency? So I do think you've got a valid point. Uh, thank you for your text to 0862 103 103. Um, in a moment, as I say, we are going to be discussing how to put an end to scam calls on the programme uh, today. 
And we're also going to talk about an issue that we tried to get to last Friday and we just simply ran out of uh, time. Uh, This was tree cutting that we heard that went on last month in an ancient woodland uh, in McCroom and it's upset a number of local people. So we're trying to find out more about that. We're going to go live to Melbourne and talk about the nurses' strike, but look at it from a slightly different angle. We're going to speak with a young nurse from originally from the West Cork area who trained here in this country, worked from what I know for a few years in a Cork hospital and then decided, no, I've had enough of this. I'm heading to Melbourne. So we want him to compare and contrast what it was like working in a Cork hospital versus what it's like working in the hospital in Melbourne. And also, I suppose, trying to get to the bottom of what will it take for him and the other nurses that he knows who have gone to Australia? What will it take for them to return home? Because the nurses are saying that we need to pay our nurses better and by paying our nurses better we won't have a problem with retaining nurses and the nurses will come at home. We'll also have our weekly catch up with Pamela Swain. Pamela is the Operation Transformation Leader from Yall and I was nervous for her last Wednesday when she got up on the scales because the previous Wednesday she got up on the scales and she had stuck religiously to the plan she'd done all of her exercise and she was exactly the same weight that she was the week before which can be for some people can make you throw the hat in and decide oh god I've had enough of this I've just done enough of this and some people might decide this this diet and this whole plan is just not working for me but she didn't she stuck to it the second the following week and she hit her target so she she really was thrilled so we'll catch up with her and this time last week when we were ringing her she was just after having an accident where she had damaged her foot and we didn't know what the implication that was going to be for the rest of the week for exercise etc so we'll catch up on uh, that and it is the first Monday of February so that means Annalise Drussell our nutritional therapist will do a question and answer session that she does on the first Monday of every month This is the Cork Today Replay on C103 James and Kildallery on scam calls. We got calls last week, as did my mother. The best thing we found is to speak some Irish to them. Ask them a question, ask Gaelga, just simply ask them, do they speak Irish? They hang up immediately. <laughs> they don't know what is going on. Michael in Mallow says, thanks, James. Michael says, I was watching a programme on a TV, it was on a UK channel over the weekend, and it shows these guys who were calling to people's houses and were telling people about problems with their banks. It was all a great big scam. But the police in the United Kingdom were able to track them down by tracing them via their mobile uh, phones. All of the data was picked up because they made they made calls from their phones while in the, I take it it was elderly people's houses. Uh, the police managed to track them down and they all got the minimum sentence of six years. A so good police work in tracking them down in the United uh, Kingdom. Now we're getting a number of uh, that I kind of expected I was starting to jump all about this a number of calls in including one in from Tom in Rathgormark says it was a disgrace that the match took place in Porky Cueve yesterday how did that match how did the match go ahead with the pitch in that state Ger in Yall says the pitch was cutting up really badly especially in the hurling game so unfair on both teams and to the players the park might be okay for Rod Stewart concerts but we must remember it was built to play GAA games not to host uh, concerts and a number of texts in 
pretty much saying the same thing. How could that match have gone ahead? How could it be allowed? Somebody else saying, with all the money that was invested into Porky Queef, how have they not managed to get the pitch right? And I was reading in the... Uh, the the sports section of the examiner today Michael Moynihan is writing obviously about the the match and the result of the match uh, but he mentions in one of his articles today that both managements referred to the playing surface after the match in Porky Cueve uh, yesterday with the Cork selector Donal O'Mahony not mincing his words according to Michael Moynihan. Donal O'Mahony said there's no secret about it. The surface was rough, especially the way we play. We want to play fast hurling and then the ball is getting stuck and things like that. They'd be physically stronger than us, so it probably suited their game plan a bit more than ours. I thought they muscled us at times, but definitely the surface didn't help. And then the winning manager, Davy Fitz, from Wexford, was asked his opinion, and he said his team had expected that the playing surface was going to be poor. He said, it depends on your mindset. We knew before the game that the surface was pretty bad, and you could see that we knocked the ball around pretty okay whether it's ball to hand or on the ground we made up our minds that no matter what the surface was like you're coming down thinking things will be pretty good the stadium is incredible he said I love it so it's a pity about the top of the surface he said it's actually quite solid he doesn't know why it's tearing on top so much and he says David Fitz said even when he was a player one place he always loved coming to was Porky Queef. He said they need to take a look at it. Uh, I'm sure they'll get it right. Something needs to be done about it. A lot of people very, very annoyed with the condition yesterday. Your thoughts welcomed 1850-333-103. John Paul taking the course. Text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103. Laura Gelga, RC103. Roger Conor Murray and Pell Law, the V Broad Major Gokdone. Drastal share Klosh de Munkin, Limna, Augusta Grimmer Pella, La Topper Faldrin. Bodice of Vishay Savansko, Dimmerche Pell, Augusta Chagrimmer Rugby. Clea Lanchair, Egimmert, Norvishay and Oldskull Limni. Rinishay Trilica, Defer Navuin, Augusta Ruglesh Ot All, Ern Vern. Dimmerche K. Clea de Vuin, Ern Octula de Debron, Gavila Sede, Iguina Kuga Connacht, Mar Aharu Fala. Is Minica Imrian Shainish, Marlach Kula Cliberta, August Noig Shay, a Kedu Captavoon, and Blin Shakata. Dimmer Shayer's son, Rugby Naharan, O Gavila Sahinja Gorai, August Rauniake, Kundal, a trust alone, with an Austral, August Gadinu Halen. Winshay Mach Tridug Ud Dig, Iguina, Verna Idernashunta Gadisha, August is keen to come make Tilla a Machansha. Of Laura Guelga is Misha Podge de Bertoon of Wales Gultmostavish Paula. CK'd as a three Kirkig. Now, last week, I think we hit a record with the number of people contacting us about receiving scam phone calls, everything from the scam computer fixer to calls purporting to be from the now famous Emily from Air, claiming that your broadband is about to be disconnected. Some of our listeners were very frustrated and angry about these repeated calls. So we've invited Labour uh, Deputy Sean Sherlock to join us because two years ago, he called on the communications minister to take action to protect vulnerable people from these scam calls and uh, Deputy Sean Sherlock uh, joins me. Good morning to you Sean. Good morning Patricia. Sean, two years on from your call, has anything happened to protect people from these scam callers? 
Nothing at all. The only thing that you could say uh, that there has been progress on is in relation to the barring of premium services where, you know, providers like mobile providers like Tree have now said, you know, that, um, you know, the SMS and multimedia messaging services, um, you know, are now... Uh, barred, if you will, and that is some progress. But there's been absolutely no progress in relation to this level of nuisance calls. I've never seen anything like it before in my life. My own office has received calls of that nature. My own mobile number has received calls of that nature. And, you know, we're hearing, you know, untold innumerable uh, stories you know, through your programme uh, about the, the level of intrusion in people's lives by these uh, scammers. Now, and most for most of us, it is just a nuisance. But what really gets to me, Sean, is when we hear from elderly people who are afraid to take the phone off the hook um, because, you know, they, they, they don't like being in the house with the phone off the hook. And when they're getting phone calls late at night, it's frightening for them. It, it is frightening because you, you don't know what the nature of that call is going to be and where it's coming from. And we have to do something to protect people who are in a vulnerable position because the, the, the phone line is a lifeline for those people. And I think there has to be a better public information campaign by you know, AIR and other entities who are providing phone services to people. But if I was to advise people, and I'm not an expert on this, uh, I would advise people if possible, if they have older handsets, for instance, and if they wanted to invest in maybe getting a newer handset, for instance, that would have caller ID. And if, you're, if your messaging system is set up, at least you could filter some of those calls, wait for the call to go through, and then maybe listen to the message, and then you can determine whether it's a genuine call or not. But, you know, That's a good idea, when, yeah. You know, especially if they're, not, if they're coming in from unrecognisable numbers. And obviously, a lot of people have older handsets, so when the phone rings, you really don't know who's at the outer end of the line. Unless it's a, a loved one, for instance, where, you know, you know that they always call at a certain hour every day. So I think what we need to see from, you know, entities like AIR is a greater public information campaign. Because even as early as this morning, I received a notification from somebody in the Fermoy area in respect of the, the Emily from AIR scenario. Yeah, yeah. So it's still ongoing. And, and last week... Uh, and are, are these scammers always ahead of the phone providers, making it harder for the phone providers to try to stop them? Well, the, I think the point here at the moment, Patricia, is that what we haven't seen is any action whatsoever by the phone providers. So when when we went to Comreg, um, you know, to our office this year, you know, they said to us, Comreg is the communications regulator, which regulates the, the, the telecoms providers like Air, for instance. And they're saying that they haven't actually dealt with this issue and that they haven't logged any complaints directly with themselves. What they say is that there's a protocol set up where you contact uh, your provider. But even when people contact their provider, they're still not getting the satisfaction that they need to be satisfied that, you know, the issue is being dealt with. So what what needs to happen here is a public information campaign by the service providers like here to say, look, we acknowledge that there is a problem. We acknowledge that you're getting a nuisance call. We acknowledge then that there is the potential for criminal activity on these nuisance calls because when a person gets through, very often it's not an Irish voice that you're hearing at the other end of the line. It's it's a non-Irish voice. And what they're trying to do is establish a relationship with you such that 
you know, they're trying to inveigle you to hand over money or try to get access to your, you know, passwords on your computer, for instance. Now, that won't affect, most people will be very wise to that, you know, when it happens. But there are people out there who may not be so wise to that and who might be trusting. And that's why I think the, you know, AIR and, and others need to intervene and they need to, to establish some sort of public information, you know, a campaign around this to ensure that people are at least protected. But yeah. I do come back to the point about maybe the older handsets, you know, if for a, a very small amount of money nowadays, you can upgrade your handset, which means that if your message minder or voicemail is set up, you know, if the call comes in, you don't recognize the number, but you can identify, you know, at least the number will come up on screen. And then you can actually filter the call then in in, in that regard. Yeah, because one listener um, just texted in saying, Hi, I have my phone off the hook most days due to these scam calls, especially the Emily from Air calls. I'm fed up with them. I'm texting you from the abandoned uh, area. But older, thank you for that, older people who have panic buttons can't have their phones off the hook. They have to have the phone on the hook in order to, be, if God forbid, they had a fall and they needed to contact somebody. Exactly, and that's why we contacted Comreg. We're going to go back to Comreg again, which is communications regulator, as I said, which regulates the behaviour of the, the, the phone companies. Because it, I don't think it's enough for them to say that, look, this is a matter between the telecoms provider, your the air and the customer, if you will. Like, I, this now is becoming a wider societal issue where people, you can't have a situation where an older person or a vulnerable person has the phone off the hook. Mm. And, like, the person from Bandon must be inundated with these calls. I imagine that that's happening more than once or twice or a multiplicity of times per day or per week at least. That, that is, I mean, that is a scandal quite frankly. And, and someone else said there's a simple way to avoid nuisance calls is to go ex-directory. Well, I think what they're doing on this is that they're randomly picking numbers. So they've probably set up a technology that allows them to say, right, OK, well, we know that the area code for North Cork is 022. We know all the area codes in the county of Cork. So what we'll do is we'll do a random sample of numbers of five digits. And the computer just generates the numbers and the, com- and the calls. Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so that, that, won't, that won't make a difference. And we also yeah. had people last week... Sean, threatening to get rid of the landline. I mean, their phone providers will ultimately lose out if they don't get a handle on this. Well, you see, you have then again, it goes back to the fact that if somebody uh, is not adept, if you will, at using a mobile phone, and not everybody is, then you've got the whole issue of maybe coverage in rural areas, which can become an issue, and not only in rural areas, but in parts of urban areas as well. The landline is the one guaranteed source of, you know, you can absolutely not only make a call out or a call, take a call in uh, on a landline. So I think the issue here might be it's, it's partly down to maybe assisting people or with a public information campaign about how to filter these calls. It's also, it needs a regulatory intervention by the communications regulator. I, I would argue that it needs a ministerial intervention as well, a political intervention on the part of a minister in relation to ensuring that people are protected in their own homes. Because I think it's unconscionable that somebody would have to leave the phone off the hook, yeah. uh, particularly, you know, where you have, uh, you know, uh, panic alarms and so on. So I, I just think that there's a, a couple of things that could be done. But if there's a greater sense of urgency about it, and as I say, we've been dealing with this issue now for two years, starting with the trying to bar the premium services, and we're going to keep working on okay. this issue as well. Okay, uh, and I can see lots of calls and texts coming in. Just everybody again at the weekend, this just seemed to be uh, a 
huge amount of them. And of course, the message that we say to everyone to protect yourselves, talk to older relatives and neighbours, never engage uh, with these scam artists. And just very finally, Sean, because I saw you tweet about this on Friday, uh, you've received a plan to save the Fomoy Weir, a five-year plan. That's right. Well, the, there was a report in May 2018 by TJ O'Connor and Associates, which was a, basically a status report in respect of the um, the construction of a new fish pass at the, on the, the Black Water at Formoy, and also in respect of uh, you know preliminary or remedial works and rep- repairing of the weir. The weir has now, as you know, you've had people on your show in the last week or so, you know, it's just absolutely and totally damaged. So we now have access to a document which is basically a tender that is being sought for consultancy services for a five-year plan or over six years uh, to provide professional engineering services to design uh, a weir, if you will, design an order and relief, an order and Fish pass, excuse me, the Northern Relief Roads. That was a Freudian slip there. I thought it you was, that yeah. as well. And, and also in relation to the construction and handover. Now, on, on first look, I welcome this because, OK, it's a first step. But I do believe that there needs to be engagement with the stakeholders, like the Safe From My Weir group, which is a stakeholder group uh, consisting of all of the interest in From My. I think there needs to be a tire kicking of what this document is because I think it throws up a lot of questions. The, the biggest question I have is is whether or not, if once you've provided a tender for consultancy services, does that mean then that the project of repairing the weir and actually constructing a, a northern fish pass will actually take place? The tender document that I have is saying that it's a five-year project. That seems like an inordinately long period of time, 60 months, and it's saying it's a five-year process. So I think there's a lot of questions. If I take it on face value, I welcome the fact that they are now moving to provide for consultancy engineers. And you'll always have consultancy engineers, consultant engineers over big projects like that, especially when it comes to areas where there's flood risks and so on. But does that mean then that the project will actually get the funding? Because the O'Connor report that I referenced earlier was saying that the, the project would come in or the approximate costs were about 780000 which seems to me to be quite low. And we were told that the project would come in at you know, over 1.1, 1.2, 1.3 million or, or even higher than that. So there are still a lot of questions, but it is a first step. And let's take it at face value. Okay. And, but there are questions. And in the meantime, answered. locals washed, are watching the weir being washed away. I, 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 and look, it's an issue that has been going on you know, quite literally since Adam was a boy, it seems at this stage. Uh, you know, I mean, I, I remember in 2007, 2008, being in the presence of a Fianna Fáil minister who had responsibility for the OPW at a meeting in Formoy. So it's been going on for that long and throughout successive governments, including my own. But I think, you know, there, times are less constrained now in terms of capital budgets. And so the issue now is whether or not Cork County Council, which is effectively the owner of the weir, will make monies available uh, to repair the weir. And we, we have the tender document gone up on e-tenders, and so we now need to interrogate whether or not it, this is a, a genuine attempt to actually put a project in play okay. to actually uh, repair the weir and also to you know construct this famous uh, 
fish pass okay we leave it there Sean thank you for that and uh, thanks uh, for joining us 1850 333 103 Pat and Tim says Patricia I am ex-directory I got one of those scam phone calls on Friday don't know where they got my number for I'd like to know how they got it taking use this past day well they randomly generate the numbers that's what they uh, appear to be doing so going ex-directory doesn't save you from scam phone calls Tom and Clonakilty do people in the United Kingdom and continental Europe get these scam calls does anyone know someone else says I got a call at a quarter to four on Sunday morning oh, I'd find the life out of you wouldn't you the phone ringing at that hour of the morning and someone else says do the scam callers get money from the call if you answer it no there's no no usually they either try to get you to call back on a premium number they will try and engage with you to try and get your contact details from you, be it your credit card or your debit card. Your banking details is usually what they're looking for. OK, let's take a break. Uh, John Paul, taking your calls. Coming up, we find out about this woodland in the McCroom area, the cutting of trees that's upset local people. This is the Court Today replay on C103. Just let me go to Frank in Rathgormac who wants to highlight this is a new scam that I certainly haven't heard about before. Good morning, Frank. Good morning. Frank, this is to do with topping up your credit on your mobile phone. Yeah, um, see, they sent me a text on my mobile phone to say my credit was gone. But I was out of credit. And uh, please get on to, we'll say, 3.ie backslash top up or something like that. Uh, in order to sort it out, or in order to top up, or, or or whatever. Now I didn't actually get on, you know, get back onto them because I knew my credit should not have been gone, you know. Yeah. Um, but I tried to actually check my credit on my mobile phone like you normally do. You know, you you ring the particular number and check three, and then they'd give you your credit, and that was blocked as well. So I went to my computer that that night. I just left it, uh, and I think it was Thursday that happened. On Friday night, I got to my computer, and I, I went into my system in 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 three to see if my credit was okay. And of course, my credit was okay. I was the euros in it or something like that. So the scam uh, was they wanted you to click on the link. That's that's what the scam was. The Did you get onto three? My, my my numbers or something like that. Did you get onto three and tell them? They're just taking a, a heap of money. Off your I know. Credit. And did you get on to three? Did you get on to three and tell them? No, I didn't get on to three and tell them. I'd be meaning to ring three. Okay, do well. I would make them aware of it? Okay, Frank. Listen, thank you for that. Just to make other people aware, be careful if you get a link purporting to be from whichever company your your phone company. Just be careful of it. That's a, that's a new uh, scam. Uh, certainly one that we haven't come across before. Now, according to Kevin Corcoran, who is the senior ecologist with the West Cork Ecology Centre, locals are devastated at the extent of tree cutting in McCroom, which was permitted by a forestry service licence. One of those locals is music teacher and social democrat uh, Sheila Nudul, uh, who joins me. Good morning to you, Sheila. Morning, Patricia. Now, Sheila, this is a woodland area at Silver Grove in Toon Valley. Just describe the area and the type of trees. Well, they're, they're native broadleaf trees, so there would be a lot of old oak trees and birch and things like that. Um, the kind that, unfortunately, we don't see so much intact anymore in Ireland uh, that would have covered the country hundreds of years ago. And this area was actually mentioned in the census of 1641, so... It's an old, old, ancient woodland. 
and how many trees have been felled and why? There is about, um, as far as I know, a 30-acre area that's been felled. Um, Now, it was granted a licence for what they call a kind of sympathetic clearing. So when you're looking after a forest like this, sometimes you need to clear away branches or certain trees, uh, underbrush and that kind of thing to allow the other tree space to grow. Um, But I was down there on Saturday and there are barely any trees left. Like, I... This is far from sympathetic clearing. Yeah. This is culling. Yeah, culling. Uh, Clear felling, just uh, random. It looks like destruction. It looks like some kind of post-apocalyptic, I don't know, like landscape of some kind. It was so upsetting just to see it in person. Were locals aware in advance that these trees were going to be cut down? Well, there was a sign, um, do you know, the, the licence was displayed, um, but I think the locals thought from what it said on the on the licence that it was going to be a small amount of clearing. And uh, over the Christmas period, I think it, there was a lot of felling done, and when the locals arrived for their walk in January, all of a sudden all the trees were gone, you know. And it was yeah. a huge shock, I think. Yeah, because I know there was, I heard there was an on-site application that stated that there was a notice beside the on-site application which stated it was part of an eco-plan. But listening to your description, that could be anything but an eco-plan. Yeah, well that's how it seems to me. And I'm sure, you know, the, the landowners um, feel that they followed the licence to the letter, which is fair enough. And I don't think the blame lies with them. I think it's with the Forestry Service. So when they allow licences like this, I think they really need to oversee, um, you know, the the work that's going on. But also, the area was surveyed in 2013 by Dr. John Cross um, with a view to making it a proposed national heritage area, which he thought should go ahead. But then he retired and it's been sitting on someone's desk. You know, yeah, so this it's, could have it's, all been avoided. This, it's a woodland that needs to be protected. It does. Yeah. yeah. It should have it should have had a it should have had national heritage status a long time ago and if that had happened all of this would be avoided and all of the upset and we still and it's, have And it's too late you can't when once those trees are gone they're gone I well, mean uh, how old would some of the trees have been do you reckon? Um, well I was talking to an ecologist who had seen some rings on a stump uh, that indicated the tree was 90 years old oh. um, but the woodland itself has been standing for a long time but it's not uh, hopefully not too late because if the stumps are left intact there is a chance that the trees over a long period of time could grow again. Okay. So we're calling on the Department of Heritage if they could uh, propose it as a National Heritage Area now. And leave it alone. You know, leave yeah, it alone. Exactly. Yeah. Has anybody contacted the Minister for Agriculture, Michael Creed? Because he lives in that area. He does, yeah. And we've been in contact and the licence for felling is currently suspended and there is an investigation ongoing. So. Okay, so no more trees can be felled. And someone okay. else is pointing out that the, the red squirrels, the endangered red squirrels... Yeah, live in that area. Yeah, and they've been. Uh, some locals have seen red squirrels kind of wandering around, disoriented, and two were found dead on the road as well. Ah, bless. Ah, bless. Yeah. Okay. And there is also a roost of bats that are protected in a farmhouse, I think, nearby. And then there's worry about the runoff into the Toon River affecting freshwater mussels, which are protected species in the Gera area. But just because this is a bit further upriver, 
um, you know, it's a bit of a grey area, but there's worry that the runoff from the felling will affect the mussels as yeah, well. There's environmental implications for sure. OK, keep us updated on this, Sheila, if any more we'll breaks. Be. And in the meantime, thank you for that. And thanks, uh, thanks uh, for joining us. That's uh, Social uh, Democrat uh, Sheila Nidul. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Last week on the programme, we had a lot of calls in reacting to drink driving checkpoints the morning after the night before. In particular, it was the Healy Rays. Danny Healy Ray, I think Michael Healy Ray brought it up as well. We're giving out about the number of checkpoints in the Kerry area in particular on Sunday mornings with people going to Mass. And then we were hearing from others who said that they saw checkpoints on a Monday morning when children were being dropped off at school or people were heading to work. And some felt that that was very unfair and that the Gardaí should be focusing their attention on nighttime drink drivers, not trying to catch people out almost uh, the next day. Well, one of our texter disagrees and says, I absolutely agree with checkpoints uh, in the morning time. People can be out drinking vodka. Vodka can be odourless. So when a guard that stops the car, it might look like there's no obvious smell that the person has not been drinking. The guard that doesn't know if that person is going to mass or maybe they're just coming home after a night out. I think it's keeping our roads safer by having these checkpoints the morning after, says one of our listeners. And Michael has contacted us but this is to do not with checkpoints, it's to do with speed vans and uh, an, an issue he has with some speed vans. Good morning to you, Michael. Hi, good morning. Now, Michael, this is this a speed van that you've noticed regularly parked on the Cork to Mallow Road. That's right. Whereabouts? That's right. Um, on the climbing lanes. I mean, to be honest with you, the whole speeding camera system, vans, etc., etc., that was all set up initially, to, you know, to protect people to from a, a safety point of view. But now it's just turned into a joke. It's um, Now it's just about money. They're parking in the most convenient places. And at the end of the day, you're driving along the Cork Mallow Road and you're behind six or seven or eight or ten cars, depending, or a van. You know, you're held up. You know, you've mm. done it yourself. Mm. And once you get to the speeding lane, um, you want to pass out that truck or that length of cars so you do increase your speed and they're sitting there on the climbing lane and they're catching you now I think that's atrocious you know um, it, it's bordering on theft as far as I'm concerned you know um, it's not a danger area it's not a it's a good you know, wide a, road a good wide road sitting on a climbing lane the one area on the road that you can actually increase your speed to pass out a car where there's two lanes so they should be told to move on. And like, you know, so that's one side of it. The other side of it is, you know, people are getting speeding tickets at 103 kilometres an hour. You know, um, now I don't know what, 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 how it works out, whether that's the law and it's tough look. But a small bit of common sense should be used. I think like a lot of these cases, and you've heard it yourself from, you know, friends and neighbours around that they go to court and the judge says, well, you know, you know the speed limit, you're doing 100 kilometres, 103 kilometres. You know, I think the judges as well need to use a small little bit of common sense. They need to review the case where the speed, where the speeding ticket was given. And the amount that you were over the over over the limit, you know. Yeah, I, th- I think that I think you've got uh, yeah, I think you've got a valid point there in that it needs to be looked at. Where was this speeding ticket handed out? Was this somebody who was you know doing excessive speed right outside a school where there's children going to be crossing? Yeah. But when it's in a climbing lane, and I suppose for the 
camera's point of view, once you clock over the 100 kilometres, even if it is That's only right. three kilometres over, the ticket just gets automatically issued then. That's right. And it does smack of fishing in a barrel almost to have a speeding van at the top of a climbing lane. The safety aspect has gone out of it now. It's just about money. It's as simple as that. It's not even a discussion anymore. They don't park in the... Like, you go from Mallow to Formoy, they're sitting over there at John A. Woods. Like, you're telling me that's a danger area? Again, you know, uh, so that's my point. And we were told told at the time when they were introduced that it wasn't a money-making racket. We were told (laughs) they were going to be put in areas that were black spots, that traditionally people had died on these roads and there'd been a lot of accidents. But areas you're highlighting there, there hasn't probably been an accident there in many, many years. That's right. If ever. Generally, anywhere you see them, they're generally parked in an area that they know is a straight runner road where cars will be driving fast. So somebody needs, some, something needs to be done in, in relation to this because, as I say now, it's not even up for discussion anymore as far as I'm concerned. It is not about safety anymore. It's purely about money. Money, money, money. That's all it's about now. OK, and we'll, we'll try and find out if we can. I don't know if the figures are available. We'll try and find out how much money was made last year just on the speed vans, as opposed to the Gardaí out doing checks, but just on the fixed cameras. And we'll see if we, yes. can, we can get a figure out. Have you been caught yourself? Uh, the reason I actually rang the other day was I was coming from uh, Cork to Mallow. Yeah. And uh, they were on the climbing lane again and I got caught there and I know I did because again there was slow cars in front of me now I'm driving along you know doing whatever 80 kilometres an hour on a 100 kilometre zone and the first chance I got to pass I went to pass out and of course I went above the 100 kilometres an hour you you have to for those couple of cars but just for those couple of seconds while you're overtaking that's right, and I'm on two lanes. I'm, you know, I'm I'm on two climbing lanes, but I will get a ticket for sure for that. And I just think uh, that it is wrong what yeah. they're doing there in relation to that. And it's, it there's is, no it's, justification for it in my mind. That's a, eighty all. euro is it? Eighty euro, and, and then, but it's the penalty points. That's right. Yeah, mm. it's the penalty points, the eighty euro, and it's the fact that you know that it's, as far as as I said earlier on, as far as I'm concerned, there it's 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 bordering on theft. You know, it, it, it's unjustifiable from a safety point of view. Okay. I'm not reckless. Ah. I'm doing what is required in order for me to overtake five or six cars or one car that is slow, uh, you know. I have a funny feeling we're going to get a lot of people agreeing with you. In the meantime, we leave it there, Michael. Thank you for that. Thank and thanks for, thanks for raising the issue. Would you be agreeing with Michael that sometimes it does feel like it's just a one great big money-making racket? And when these fixed, when these cameras were introduced, these speed vans were introduced, we were told it was nothing to do with making money. It was all to do with keeping us safe on the roads and they were going out and they put up the sign saying you know you're liable to see a van in this area and they wanted to warn people and they didn't mind people knowing in advance where they were going to be because the whole idea is if you're driving along and you know that there's a speed van you are going to slow down and therefore they they claim it's going to keep the roads safer and we will all be safer on our roads but have we moved away from that do you feel have you been caught yourself I think it's when you're caught yourself if you've been caught a few times and you start building up those penalty points you could end up losing your licence remember if you get up to at 12 penalty points or are you on the other side of the fence saying no the law is the law it clearly says you've got to stick to 100 kilometres even though you'd have sympathy for Michael trying to overtake a slow moving vehicle and he might just go a little bit over the 100 kilometres to get past the person he's trying to overtake uh, is it unfair 
that they're parking the vans in places like that on climbing lanes where they know there is a better chance of catching people speeding than on a road that doesn't have a climbing lane where you might have people taking absolute risks and doing stupid things and they're kind of the areas where you would like to think people would be stopped. Your thoughts welcomed on that. 1850-333-103. Scam calls, as soon as we mention them. Lots of calls coming in. Sheila Kimari. I got the air broadband scam the air broadband scam with the lovely Emily. Love to know who Emily is. I've also heard from my neighbours in Kilmurray, so it looks like they targeted Kilmurray. Uh, Joe in Timaleague got Emily calling me this morning, stating again that she was from uh, air that. And I'm, I'm right in saying, because I haven't heard the call myself, I'm right in saying it's that's a pre-recorded one, isn't it? It's somebody letting on to be Emily from uh, air. Hannah in Roscarbury says, I have an ex-directory number and I've been getting those calls, particularly the ones from Emily. Only got them this morning. Uh, claiming to be from air so ex-directory doesn't make a difference it doesn't keep you safe I also got a call a few years ago and I got it again last week from somebody claiming to be from a bank stating my daughter in London was having difficulties with her bank card now my daughter says Hannah does live in London so it was a worry but it turned out it was a scam and my daughter was fine and that's the second time that it's happened to Hannah and obviously she was alerted from the first time now that's a worry when you have a loved one living overseas and you think oh their contact the bank has contacted me because my daughter said to contact my mother and she'll sort me out with cash be careful again with anything like that hang up the phone and say you deal with it yourself and then make contact with your loved one in, in Hannah's case her daughter and find out exactly what's going on it's the one way of knowing for sure just in case your daughter was in trouble and was trying to get did need your help but never ever take at face value or trust somebody who just rings you up like that Margaret into Manway I have a lot of nieces and nephews who live overseas and when their numbers come up uh, I don't always answer them and now I've found I'm ended up missing out on phone calls from uh, relatives. I don't know all of their numbers and I can't be when I'm trying to check the numbers the call will have ended and by the way says Margaret I can't get rid of my landline it uh, it is linked to my personal alarm that we mentioned earlier on so I don't have any choice on that and you're not on your own there's a number of elderly people can't get rid of the landlines and when somebody was asking earlier about these scam calls. Are they just unique to us here uh, in Ireland or do they get them in other countries? Michael in Castletown Bear says, Patricia, hi. In London, the volume of scam calls is off the Richter scale. I've been there, says Michael. I've actually witnessed it. A lot of people just take their phone off the hook, especially in the morning time and after 6pm in the evening because they seem to be the two times that you're most likely to get a scam call. Unbelievable. And BT cannot get a handle on it in the United Kingdom. Thanking you, says uh, that's from Michael. Thank you, Michael. And I know somebody was asking, um, I just, I'm I'm ex-directory and I've never got one of these scam calls, says a caller. Yeah, but we are hearing from people who are ex-directory and they are uh, getting them. Someone else says with regard to scam calls, we've been receiving them and our number is, is blocked. Uh, so the listener who's saying that when you're ex-directory, you're OK. You're not, unfortunately, because they're just, they're randomly generating numbers. They're they're making the numbers up. And of course, when a computer does it, the chances that they'll, they'll hit on, even if they randomly generate 
100 numbers and they only hit on 10, it's, uh, they, they still will have hit on uh, 10 numbers. And somebody else is saying, can the, oh, here it is, John says, Patricia, why can't the fraud squad follow up on these scams? It's an absolute disgrace. But the biggest problem is most of these scam artists are not operating here in Ireland. The, the money for those that end up giving money to these scam artists, it's, it's out of the country and it's long gone by the time somebody has discovered that it is a scam. So, almost impossible for the Irish Guard the other fraud squad in this country to go after them because they're not in the uh, jurisdiction. Anybody says another texter anybody having problems with Vodafone signal in the Bohabui and Kiskame area I'm finding it very bad at the moment and I seem to be getting nowhere with Vodafone when I'm trying to contact them. Anybody know problems with Vodafone in the Bohabui and Kiskame area if anyone can offer advice there please do and I can see some questions coming in for Annalise can you keep those coming please because Annalise is doing first Monday of the month so she'll do a question and answer session uh, with us today on the programme if there's any questions from a nutritional point of view that you think Annalise can help you with you can call or text us 1850-333-103 text or WhatsApp 0862-103-103 Jobs and a practice nurse is required for a GP practice in Mallow. Flexible hours are available. Experienced fast food assistant required. That's for a takeaway in uh, Bandon. And a new arrivals groom is required for the donkey sanctuary in Liscarroll. And window fishers and labourers are required for a West Cork company fitting both commercial and uh, domestic. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Now last week during the nurses' first 24-hour strike, one of the reasons put forward for the 12% pay increase is to encourage Irish nurses who are working abroad to come home and work in the Irish Health Service. So in order to see what life is like for our young nurses abroad, I'm joined from Melbourne in Australia by West Cork uh, native Mark uh, O'Driscoll who is nursing there. Um, good morning to you Mark. Are in it is evening time what's about half ten at night isn't it in Melbourne yeah half ten at night here in Melbourne so good good evening to you I suppose let's start let's start with where in West Cork are you from and how long are you in Australia I'm from uh, Cora in West Cork a small village just about five or six miles outside of Skibreen Um, and I suppose I I took took the plunge and moved to Australia about four months ago um, the the end of October, I myself and my my girlfriend Amy moved over here. Um, so we 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 thought uh, grass might be greener, and sure enough, it was. Was was it a difficult decision to make? How did your family react to the news? Um, I suppose they would always kind of hope that I would go travelling eventually, but I I always did have have the idea myself that I'd go travelling but I didn't think that I'd probably head off so soon kind of my hand was kind of forced in one way kind of burnt out fed up working in Ireland um, kind of progressed things a bit quicker than I thought they would have um, but no everyone was everyone was I just wanted to see me go but happy happy for me to be going in another sense wish me well to hear a young guy say you were burnt out in your early 20s just starting out on your, your career because you qualified what about two and a half years ago? Yeah two and a half years ago so September 2016 would have qualified after after a nine month internship before that which is 
which is probably tougher than actually working as a, as a, as a staff nurse in Ireland. Is that is that the nine months internship where you're not paid? Yes. So about halfway through our internship, it would have changed. So we would have been we w- initially we weren't being paid, and then are being paid very very little. I think it was maybe five or six euro an hour, which you couldn't even live off. Whereas everyone everyone would have had part time jobs and working working around the clock, just trying to make ends meet and pay rent and pay your college fees and whatnot. Um, but no, halfway through halfway through our halfway through our internship, there there was years of campaigning to to, to get some sort of some sort of a wage for intern nurses, and eventually it, it it did come in that we were earning I think something just less something just less than minimum wage or something. But it's it it, it only came in about halfway through. Yeah, our, and I know so, during but, last week's strike, we heard from some of those those young nurses on their internship saying they work as hard as any staff nurse will work on the day they're rostered oh yeah. on. Equally, equally and probably even more so because, I, you know, you're you're not too sure of the ins and outs of what you're to be doing exactly. So I think in a sense you're probably, you're probably working twice as hard to try and, to try and compensate for what you're, for what you're lacking in experience-wise and knowledge-wise. Um, but no, definitely working as hard doing the same doing the same duties, just um, technically just working under a staff nurse where, you know, you're, you're doing you're doing everything the same as same as they are. Yeah. So you qualified then in 2016 and where, where did you then go to work? Um, so we as, as part of our course, we kind of get attached to a, a specific hospital where we do for, for the four years we trained, we do all our different placements in the hospital and I was attached to the Mercy Hospital where I did my nine months placement and where I was offered a job after nine months placement and worked there in um, in the Mercy Hospital in Cork for two years after qualifying. And talk to me about what a typical day was like in the Mercy Hospital. I'm assuming 12-hour shifts. 12-hour shifts. Um, you're lucky. You, you'll be very lucky if it actually ends up to be a 12-hour, 12-hour day. Um, you're, you're more than likely in 15, at least 15, 20 minutes early to get handover that you're not paid for every shift. Um, and you are, it, it's, it's, it will be a rarity to be out at least half an hour, at least half an hour late to be going out every day. Um, so, so a 12-hour shift usually turns into a 13-hour shift um, and you're missing breaks, you're missing tea breaks, you're missing evening breaks. You're kind of, you kind of, you do have the option to take these breaks most of the time, but Nine times out of ten, if you if you, you you know the workload that you have and you know what you have to get through, and quite often if if you're busy in the afternoon, evening, you just work right through your break. If you know if there's any hope of getting out anywhere near finishing time, that's you know you just you just it's not feasible to take breaks. And is that was that every day? Yeah, nine days out of ten, definitely. Um, yeah, probably every day I'd say. Um, like it's it's the stress the stress everyone else is under is is frightening and um, you kind of you're there every day and you're kind of thinking what am I forgetting to do what what you know you're under so much pressure you're saying something's going to go wrong sooner or later and you're fearing that you're going to do something wrong and possibly possibly lose your registration you know that's that's a fear that's on every young nurse in Ireland. 
And you obviously take that stress home with you. I, I heard of a young nurse last week saying that she would wake in the middle, she wakes in the middle of the night and something will go into her head going, did I do that? Something that she, you know, and she to stop yeah. herself and, and think, you, had you, she you done it? And you're, you, you, you can't switch off. You kind of go home and you sit down and you're trying to go through your day. Did I do this? Did I do that? Quite often you'll go to bed, go sleep for a few hours and you wake and you're saying, oh my God, completely forgot to do that. Something probably at two or three hours into your shift. Like it's, it's small things, you know, I, I said it before, but it's like, you, it's like the small things the patient notices that you might notice. Like you, patient might ask you for something as simple as a, a glass of water, a cup of tea, a cup of coffee, and you, 100% intention is going to do that. You're on your way to do it, and you get called to do ten other things. And it might be two, three, four hours later. You think, oh my god, never got that patient to a glass of water, whatever know, it was. I know. And it's it's the guilt you feel for those small kind of things, you know, and. At, like at the end of the day, it doesn't impact on their care that they're receiving in the hospital. It's just it's it's those things the patients notice. You know, they're saying, "Oh, I'm here. I've been forgotten about. Nobody got me anything to drink all day." Whereas, you know, if they miss their antibiotics, if they miss their medication, you know, if they miss the scan, they're not going to notice. They're not going to notice those things. But it's just small the, things. The, small the, things the, don't Mark, the ratio of nurse to patient. I mean, how many patients in in the Mercy would you have been looking after on a typical day? At least seven, um, depending on sick leave, how how short you are on a day, how understaffed you are. That could that could go anywhere up to eight, nine, ten. Um, but at least at least seven. Okay, now compare it to life in Melbourne. You made the decision to go to Australia. Firstly, any problem picking up work in Australia? No, I had, um, before I left, I made a decision I was moving and contacted an agency. So the agency that I'm I'm working for here have offices all over the world. So I met with a lady. She helped me get set up, helped me go through the whole application for my registration process. And um, she put me in contact with her Melbourne office so that when I landed, everything was ready just to go in, verify my details, and I was as good as active to work away. Um, moved out here, probably took a few weeks off before I started working, and then started working and immediately noticed the difference the difference in everything. Um, like, okay, like talk, me, to, talk me through a typical day in a hospital in Melbourne. You... Do I was saying you have a ratio of at least seven at home, seven to one nurse. Um, it, it doesn't go over four here. They've they've strict guidelines, strict rules and regulations that you cannot have more than four patients, and they don't. They abide to it like like law. Um, so it's it's those kind of days, you know, where uh, at home you could have seven patients, and four or five of them could be very very sick, and you mightn't get to see the you barely get to see the rest of the patients. Whereas here, if you have four sick patients, yeah, you're still going to have a very, very busy day and you're going to be run off your feet some days. Not every day is perfect here. But it's, it's you've, you've less patients, you've more time to spend with each patient, you know. At home, if you had, say, if you had 10 jobs to do at home, you might get to do three, four, maybe five. Here, you you have a list of jobs and nine times out of ten, you'll get to, you'll get to everything on your list eventually. Now, that's, that's, most days, obviously, there's still bad days here. There's no mm. days perfect here either. But you know, it's it's the things that you it, it's kind of prioritizing all the time. You're kind of saying, what's most important that I need to do now? And 
like like I said, it's the small things that you say, I literally don't have time for that, that's at home. Whereas here you kind of have that bit more time to spend with the patients, you have a bit more time to get to do the nitty gritty kind of things. Do you get your breaks? Oh, religiously, yeah. Never, You never miss a break here, to be fair. A handover? Handover. Um, there's dedicated handover time here. So at home as well, there's, there's only, like I said, the 12-hour shifts. There's 12-hour day, 12-hour night. Um, there's very little wiggle room for handover time. Whereas here, there's three shifts. There's um, AM, eight hours. An AM shift is eight hours. A PM shift is eight hours. And a night shift is 12 hours, or 10 hours, sorry. But in between the AM and PM, there's about an hour and a half where there's where they work with kind of double staff. Well, so that gives that gives enough time for um, the AM staff to hand over their patients to the PM staff, and any remaining jobs they work together to get them done before the AM staff go, so that the PM staff aren't left with whole host of jobs, and the AM staff aren't staying later than their shift to finish work. So that in itself is a huge difference. You know, you've, I've never been late out of a shift here. Even though you might go home, you might be very busy towards the end of a shift, you'll always get your stuff done because for that hour, hour and a half, there's, they're working off probably double the, double the staff they should have. But it just makes it... What a great run. system. What a great is, system. Uh, do you, it do just you, makes everything run. Do you feel supported? Uh, yes, definitely. Definitely. Um, a lot of the wards here have um, a clinical educator on the wards so that if you, like, say, for newly qualified nurses, young nurses, inexperienced nurses, um, nurses that wouldn't be experienced in the, the types of wards that they are, um, so they kind of, they're kind of, say, an extra nurse on the wards that would be very educated, very qualified, that kind of just helps you. If you have any issues, any queries that, that you can go to to say, look, I'm not too sure about this, he or she will go um, help you and if they're not sure they'll find out how this is supposed to be done and I guess right back to you so that that in itself makes you feel you know it makes you feel a lot more supported because at home if, you, if you're not sure of something you're it's almost as if you're it's, it, like as a young nurse as a, an internist is kind of trial and error you're kind of learning by trial and error because you you've no other you've no you've very little support but here if you're unsure of something you go to the clinical educator and They'll they'll answer any queries you have. That's a huge that's a huge support to have. Massive, well. massive. And then of course the question that always gets asked: pay uh, is the pay much better in Melbourne? Bearing in mind cost of living is expensive in Melbourne, but is the pay better in Melbourne to what you were getting at home? Yeah, the pay is a little bit better. Like I think uh, I think roughly maybe twenty twenty five percent better, even with the, the the cost of living. I know it's a bit more expensive. Um, but yeah, it, it just makes you feel, it just makes you feel more rewarded for the work you're doing. You know, it's, it's kind of it's kind of being acknowledged for the work you're doing. Um, I know at, at home they're kind of focusing a lot on the pay, but on the on the wages and trying to trying to increase the wages. I think it's the twelve percent restoration of of pay they're looking for. But I think that's being focused on too much. I think at the end of the day, it's it's the it's the safe safe staffing levels. It's the um, Better working environment. It's the conditions. conditions. Yeah, it's the conditions. The, the conditions, like if if the conditions improve, people will be happier going to work. And I think I think it's being focused too much on the wages and the money. And while you know, like I know, I know no no nurse, nobody, no young nurse starts out knowing or wanting to become a millionaire because or wanting to be very rich because that's just out of the question. I think it's kind of nursing is kind of something you 
you're drawn to, you've you've a passion for, you you like. Um. So yeah, like it's it's not all about the money. It's I think I think North of Ireland kind of want want a healthcare system that want want to be able to provide a healthcare system that the people of Ireland deserve. Uh, you were behind the rally that was organised in in Melbourne on the bank holiday weekend of the Australia Day, um, uh, yeah. where there was uh, about 150 young nurses from all around Melbourne uh, turned out. Turned out. So obviously there are a lot of Irish nurses in Australia. When you talk to the mark, do they all? And and this question is to you as well. Do you all plan on coming home one day? Yeah, I suppose initially I, I didn't. To be honest, I just I saw what. It, they did a similar event in uh, in Sydney maybe a week, 10 days before we did it and I said, look, I saw nothing had been organised in Melbourne similar and I said, look, I just created an event on Facebook and I've, I'm not here that long so I have friends that are here that long and cousins that are here longer than me um, so I just I just asked them to invite as many Irish nurses as they, as they knew here to it and before I knew it there was there was so many people that were interested in going and um yeah, through this the last week we were in there and we were I was chatting to a few of them, but like that, it's, it's not all young nurses. There was there was older nurses turned up as well. There's was there? nurses that are here yeah. 30, 40 years. Wow. Um, some some people here a few weeks, a few months. Um, but no, there was a there was there was the common theme was that people, I'd say ninety five percent people want to go home. To be honest, at some stage, um, myself will definitely go home. Um, but you know. There's nothing to rush home for at the moment. If things if things stay as they are, you know, it's it's hard it's hard having seen how good things are here and how bad things are at home. Like you you, you wouldn't be in a rush going home. I know a lot of things will have to change before you you come home to the kind of conditions that you've you've outlined there. There's a lovely text in from somebody yeah. called Sandra to say Mark nursed my husband this time last year. Super guy who's telling it like it is. So there's from a, one of your former patients. And did you nice so? And you obviously you didn't get home for Christmas because you you weren't long. Did you miss home at Christmas? How did you fare over Christmas? Uh, yeah, no, it was was certainly different, yeah. Um, it was my first Christmas ever away from home, oh. and I and I say I say my mother was more upset than I was. <laughs> but, um, I know it was, it was different. It was a nice to experience of Christmas. It was it like as the last people probably say, it didn't feel like Christmas or whatever because we're used to being cold and wet and early, which was complete complete opposite of all those here. It was lovely. Um, yeah, it was different. It was nice though. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, uh, and of course you've you've arrived out to one of the hottest summers on record for Melbourne. Are you coping with the heat? Oh yeah, I love the heat. So yeah. I, I'll, I'll get on fine here in the heat. Okay. Listen, we appreciate you taking our call, uh, Mark. We will keep in contact uh, with you. But uh, thanks a million for joining us on the programme this morning. No bother. Thanks for that. Good evening to you. Bye bye. Mark O'Driscoll there, formerly from Cora in West Cork, but now in a very sunny and hot Melbourne at the moment and nursing and God doesn't he paint a lovely picture of what a hospital looks like in Melbourne and it's the kind of hospitals we should be having here as well and there's no reason why we can't because whenever we look at this issue we're always told there's a lot of money goes into the system and I just don't know why why can't we have enough nurses on to have a system like what Mark outlined there where there's an overlap where there's two eight hour shifts and one ten hour shift and everybody's and the ratio of nurses, one nurse to four patients whereas Mark's saying one to seven and it can go up to eight, nine, ten 
depending on the ward or how busy uh, they are. That's uh, that's that in itself will show you how stressful it must be for the nurses um, trying to do their job. 1850-333-103. John Paul taking your calls. Hi, Martina here. Join me every weekday from 4 to 7 for Drive Time, where I'll keep you up to date on all the latest traffic information. We'll spread some positivity with our feel-good story and song of the day. And of course, we'll be serving up a generous portion of Cork's greatest hits. C103. Okay, and we have a number of uh, texts in on uh, speeding. Sandy said, isn't there a speed tolerance for a speedometer by car manufacturers. Not sure of the percentage, but Ireland, says Sandy, is the only country that legislation doesn't allow it. I'm unsure what the speed tolerance for a speedometer is. Anyway, it's allowed in other EU countries, according to Sandy. Ireland, of course, is not an EU country when it comes to speed and vehicle registration tax. I've been told that Ireland pays 4% of all vehicle registration tax collected as a penalty as the vehicle registration tax is illegal under EU laws. It's about time, says Sandy, that Ireland was forced to comply with a unified EU taxation law and not be allowed to set their own. I mean, yeah, lots of people thought when there was going to be changes to the vehicle registration tax, they would all be able to go to Europe and buy cars with the vehicle registration taxes lower and... a lot of people already do it going to the United Kingdom and people thought they'd be able to bring them in it was only when they brought them back in they discovered you have to pay the difference of the vehicle registration tax which can in some cases make the car as expensive as if you bought it at your local uh, garage Okay, also on speed Hi Patricia, another new one. People collecting children from school up by Duns are getting parking fines. The guard the car drives around while the people are there. Scan your number. I know one person who got a fine of €40. Now, I don't know, is that Duns in Mallow that you're you're talking about? I don't know if anybody can tell us, is that going on? Where a guard the car scans your number... So these people, I'm assuming, are illegally parked because if it is done in Mallow and there's there's a little boys primary school beside that particular shopping complex and there is an area for set down where parents are allowed to just drop, as, as it says, set down, drop your kids and then go take off. Are people parking there? Is that is that the issue? Um, because if, if, if it is... The Gardaí are right, you're not meant to park there, but somebody is, I, I take it from this text, somebody is seeing it as a way of just making money. If anybody can tell us, were you, did you actually get a fine of €40 Euro for illegally parking in the set-down uh, area? 1850-333-103. Hi Patricia, I drive from Bantry, I drove from Bantry to Killarney yesterday. And what I noticed, a lot of people on the road not obeying the speed limit. So there is no point complaining when you're caught over the limit. The signs are there to tell you the speed limit. Thank you, Patricia, says Tim in Bantry, who has absolutely no sympathy. If you're over the limit for speeding, then you're over the limit, plain and simple, and you shouldn't be able to uh, be making allowance uh, for it. 
also on speeding. What else is into me on speeding? Sorry, there's a lot of um, calls coming through. No, I'm going to have to take a look at some of those, just proofread some of those calls. Uh, keep them coming though. 1850-333-103. John Paul's taking your calls and also looking for questions for Annalise, please, because she joins us in the final hour and it's the first Monday of the month, so she'll do a question and answer session. You're listening to Cork Today on replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. There was a, t- uh, a WhatsApp in asking me to mention, please, that the Vincent's charity shop in Bantry are having a sale of children's clothes starting tomorrow, Tuesday. Great bargains, half price or less on new or nearly new children's clothes. So that's Vincent's charity shop in Bantry. If you want to grab yourself a bargain, that sale of children's clothes as and from tomorrow. And thank you to somebody. I don't know if there isn't a name on this text, but somebody has sent me in photographs of dumping in the Butterfant Donorail area. The texter WhatsApper says it's a great, great thing about WhatsApp. You can send on the photographs uh, with them. The dumping of rubbish in Butterfant is getting out of hand. In Donorail, a couch was dumped but thanks to the power of social media it was removed yesterday evening. There was a partial address and a Santa letter. Community working together. And the person has sent me on a screen grab of it is a red sofa and armchairs and the cushions the whole lot just dumped on the side of the road and somebody put it up on social media in the Donnerail area to say that this had been dumped but that there was a partial address when they'd gone through the rubbish from a Santa letter which was some way maybe it was in the couch you know it had fallen under one of the seats and they put a picture of the couch up on Facebook and says you have until the morning to retrie- retrieve the couch or I'll pass on the details to the guards and to the litter warden lo and behold Somebody turned up in the dead of the night and the couch is gone. But as, as this texture says, at least it's gone from Donnerill, but God knows where it's ended up uh, since. Yeah, it's probably been dumped uh, someplace else. But then also just sending on photographs of rubbish, just shrewd and th- just thrown the side of the road. Very obviously somebody, do they even pull up in the car, bags of rubbish and just du- just dumping it. And as this texture says, it, it's on the Donnerill to Butterfield uh, Road it's five euro to bring a bag of waste down to Munster Waste in Mallow. You know, while you're driving out that road, you could go on drive into Mallow, go down to Munster Waste. They'll take the rubbish from you for just five euro. There is no need for that dumping uh, to be going on. And it's great to hear. And I know we're running it on our news. And I saw it. It's making the front page of the Irish Times uh, today with a report there having that local authorities are passing bylaws throughout the country. And it's to beef up their powers to act against homeowners that they suspect are illegally dumping their waste. According to this report in today's Irish Times, the licensed curbside bin collectors will share air codes of paying customers with the local authorities, which will they then use to pinpoint neighbours who don't have a waste collection service. Householders then who claim to use civic amenity sites and who claim to go to the bring sites and recycling uh, centres or they say they share their bins with neighbours they're going to have to prove it. They're going to have to. Now and I do know I do know of neighbours that might have a lot of rubbish and rather than having a bin each they'll have one bin between the two houses and once they can prove you know if somebody calls because it's obviously registered in one house they can say yeah I share my bin with Mary next door and we pay we split the bill between 
between us. That's okay. That's, you know, you're not going to get caught out. But it's people who are pretending, oh, I go to the civic community site and I take my rubbish away every week and I bring it to the civic community site or I bring it to somebody's house. You're going to have to prove that you do it. And they're going they're going to have what they're calling TV licence style inspectors. It won't be the TV licence, boys. It'll be similar inspectors will come calling to your door. They won't call to people who have wheelie bins and who have who pay their bin company to come and collect their bins but they know the houses that don't have bins and if you can't prove what you're doing with your rubbish and the danger is that if you can't prove and there's nobody can be completely litter free we would love the idea that we could be rubbish free that you would generate no rubbish now some people are really really good at it but you're still going to have some rubbish that has to be dumped and it's to stop people fly tipping it's to stop people driving out as we have the example this morning the Donnerill to Butterfield Road opening the car door and just flinging out the bag of waste rather than paying to have it disposed of if you are caught a 75 euro fixed penalty notice will be issued to anyone found to not have a satisfactory system in place repeat offenders could be fined up to two and a half thousand euro if they come before the courts so it's not that they're going to wait for people to get caught because some are getting very clever about making sure that the rubbish they do dump and they fly tip, they make sure that there's nothing in it that can trace it back to the person's home. So people are getting clever at it. But what they're saying with this new style of legislation, that if they call to somebody's house and the inspectors are not satisfied that what the people are saying, oh, I go to the civic community site, well, have you a receipt for that? Well, no, I don't. And if they are, if they... The inspectors feel that what you are telling them is not a satisfactory system. They'll slap you with a 75 euro fine. That's going to put manners on a lot of people. Will it work? Only time will tell. But thank you to whoever sent that those uh, pictures uh, in to us. 1850 I can see on our WhatsApp there's a number of questions for Annalise. Keep those coming, please, uh, because Annalise will be joining us in this hour in the programme on the first Monday of the month she answers your questions you set the agenda for what we do on our slot with Annalise on the first Monday somebody else says on rubbish Patricia has anybody removed the rubbish from the graveyard in Formoy it is disgraceful now I know a couple of other people were interested about this and we did get the photographs I don't know if they were sent in to C103 but I certainly saw photographs of outside uh, Kilcrumper graveyard there is rubbish uh, there again and the the family the travelling community are still there I don't, I don't know if the rubbish is belonging to them or whether other people are coming along dumping the rubbish or not but yes I did see I did see the photograph if anybody can tell us has the rubbish been removed because often what happens when it gets a bit of publicity something will happen the council will move in or what I love what happened there with that red couch they shamed somebody into removing it themselves I don't know if that's the case if anyone's been around Kilcrumper graveyard over the weekend certainly there was photographs on social media showing rubbish outside and it just it struck me do you know on a weekend families have a tendency on a weekend to go and visit their graves and now that spring has started you know people might be going to plant flowers and that and going to visit the loved one's grave and just horrible to see that kind of rubbish outside the cemetery you know graveyards are places of peace 
they're pissed at great sadness as well, but you, you think they respect level that nobody would be dumping rubbish outside of a graveyard. It was I was horrified when I saw the photographs. Hopefully it has been cleaned up. If anybody can tell us, please, if you've been down there today or maybe you were down there yesterday, has that rubbish that was certainly highlighted over the weekend on social media has it been removed Hi Patricia I was a nominated driver over the weekend and I was in a pub in Mill Street and I got a bottle of Heineken Zero that's the you know the alcohol free beer €4.75 for a bottle of no alcohol beer goodness me that's a rip off why is it so expensive? Anyway, this texter says, what a joke. The government should be pushing people who are driving. The government should be pushing people who are the nominated driver. They should be making it cheaper for them. It is ripping them off. By the way, you can buy four bottles of the same no alcohol beer. You can get that in a shop or an off licence for six euro for four bottles. What a joke. I should they, I think they should be around two euro a bottle or maybe one fifty a can, but no more than that. Yeah, put it at least have it on par with how much a mineral is or you know, a fizzy or a still water. And I know, you know, people say, why did you just drink a glass of water? Why did you just have a mineral? But if you're out there and you're socialising with people and if everybody else is having a beer in hand, you kind of, we've discussed this before with people, you sort of feel you're more part of the gang and there also isn't the constant nagging. I heard of some people who did dry January and when they did attempt to go out and they, the, not the abuse, but the slagging that they were getting. No, you're off the drink. Are the famous one in Ireland for a female, any female who attempts to do dry January or go out with the girls and it, you're drinking a glass of water or having a glass of mineral and something to tell us, you're pregnant. is One of the famous ones that get, get asked. But people sometimes feel under pressure when they want to go out and not drink. So that's why having a beer in hand non-alcoholic beer but I certainly did not realise that it was that expensive €4.75 that works out as an expensive night out for the nominated driver the designated driver who is opting not to drink so that he can drive uh, everybody home and well done to you by the way uh, for doing that Patricia the speeding laws and the enforcement of same that you've been discussing earlier in the programme are clearly for revenue raising purposes the safety aspect has been pushed aside I drive around 55,000 kilometres a year it's a full time job to watch the changes in speed limits. It's 27 kilometres to travel from McCroom to the beginning of the Balancholic Bypass. The speed limit changes nine times on that 27 kilometre journey. That's a change every three kilometres on average. It's shooting fish in a barrel. Also, it's not the fine that's the problem. It's the penalty points that come with the speeding ticket. They are now being used by insurance companies to deny and are raise the cost of insurance. I had six penalty points at one stage. My insurance premiums doubled once I went over five points. And that was at the cheaper end of the scale. Some insurance companies wouldn't even quote me because I had six penalty points because I drive as a commercial vehicle. And that's from a mid-cork listener who is doing his best to try to keep within the speed limit and just you know whatever every now and again goes just over and happens to get caught 
Uh, thank you for that. And it was Michael raised this who joined us who reckons that it is and would be agreeing shooting fish in a barrel, particularly when they are putting the speed van at the top or near the climbing lane. It's almost like they're trying to catch people out. Lister says, I agree with Michael who joined you in the last hour talking about the speed cameras. I drive the Killarney Kilorglin Road a lot. The speed van used to park outside Fossa Church. Now, that was in the 50 kilometre zone. Understandably, correct place for them to park as it's near a school. However, now it's been moved to beyond the gap, which is where the 100 kilometre zone is. Why? Because people are gaining speed coming down the hill and hence more money for the uh, coffers. Ah, yeah. And it annoys me that we're getting more and more of those calls uh, coming in. It it really does, because that was never the idea and the reason for those speed cameras were never introduced uh, for that reason. David in Drina in West Cork says, I gave my life truck driving. I was at it for over 25 years. But if you're driving, you can never keep looking at the speedometer. I always stay and hover around the 98 kilometres per hour, just under the 100. But sometimes you need to keep your eyes on the road and you can end up going over the 100 kilometres. You don't do it on purpose. It's just if you're concentrating where you're driving and suddenly you're just going over the 100 kilometres and that's where people are getting caught, which is just simply not fair. Also, by the way, says David Indrina, I have a landline, but I have to have it for my personal alarm. I feel as the as the costs with the landline keeps increasing, it is really, really catching elderly people. With There should be no landline charges for older people. It's simply gone too high, but many of us like myself, says David, needed for our personal alarm. Can I just on that, and it's somebody might be able to clarify this, because I remember this coming up before when the cost of a landline went up. I'm open to correction, but did somebody not contact us and say that they've got a personal alarm that is connected to their mobile phone, that you can have it linked to a mobile phone uh, as well? Now, that will be okay if you're in an area where you've got good mobile phone coverage and I don't know for David and Dreen in West Cork if he has good mobile phone coverage but can somebody confirm to us if anybody has a personal alarm or maybe your parents or your grandparents some elderly person that you're helping out has a personal alarm that's not connected to a landline it's connected to a mobile phone instead because a number of people are contacting us saying they'd love to get rid of the landline if, if to get rid of the nuisance cause if nothing else but they say they can't because of that having their personal monitored alarm connected to the landline and of the belief that that personal that panic button can only be used with a landline it can't be used with a mobile phone I just have it somewhere in my mind that somebody clarified that a couple of years ago. So if you can tell us, please do. 1850-333-103. John Paul taking your calls. By the way, the phones have been extremely busy today. So apologies if we're not getting to all of your calls. You can text or WhatsApp 0862-103-103 and you can email Patricia at c103.ie. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council. Supporting businesses, supporting communities, serving Cork. Visit Cork. Coco.ie. 
Now, Little Steps, they are a group of families bereaved by suicide. They meet the first Monday of every month at the New You Clinic in Bantry and they'll be meeting again the first Monday of the month uh, this evening between half past six and half past eight. They're inviting people to come join for a cuppa, a chat and just a friendly listening ear if you are a family whose lives have been touched by suicide. We're going to pop along the New You Clinic in Bantry this evening. Enrolment, open night school, Iasagon Infant School in Mallow. That's tonight at, at seven o'clock. While Sensational Kids, that's the charity in Clonakilty, they're holding a free speech and language drop-in advice clinic on Thursday of this week between 10am and 12 noon and between 6 and 7. That's in the West Cork Technology Park. And the monthly meeting in honour of St. Pio that goes ahead in St. Joseph's Church in Lismire. That's on Wednesday at 8 o'clock. And a panel of experts will speak on a range of topics of interest to women in agriculture this Thursday night at 8 o'clock in the West Cork Hotel in Skibbereen. I'll be your MC for the evening and it is a free event. Please come along. And thank you to Eileen to say hi. Lovely day here in Bantry. Yeah, it's a beautiful spring day. Get out and enjoy it if you can. Uh, Eileen says, yes, you can have a personal alarm without a landline. Community alert in your area uh, should be able to sort it out uh, for anyone. I knew I knew that came up before and that's because a lot of people are only hanging on to their landline because they believe that their panic button will only work with the landline. So get in contact with your community alert coordinator please for anyone who would like to, who feels the landline's costing them too much are the ones who are getting played with these nuisance calls and a couple of other people uh, along with Eileen telling us that yes you can have it on your mobile phone. Thank you for that. Only for having relatives in America, Suzanne, my landline would be long, long uh, gone. And hi, Patricia. I heard your comments on low alcohol beer. I used to drink Calibre back before, back along with other non-alcoholic lagers. It's listed as lager or ale and therefore it's taxed accordingly. That's why it's as expensive, if not more expensive in some cases, than alcoholic beer. Also, I've been told that the same minerals are sold in shops and pubs are supplied at different prices by distillers. Brian Cowan once promised to change to an alcohol-related taxation and that then would have lowered the cost of the non-alcoholic beers. But where is he now? Says this texter. He is making speeches on our recession. And there was somebody else on about the alcohol, non-alcoholic beer. Says, uh, Patricia, I paid €5.40 for non-alcoholic beer in Mallow. That's from Pat in uh, Mallow. So it is, I did not realise that the non-alcoholic beers were expensive as that. It is, it truly is uh, shocking. Arthur says, just an observation, please. I made when collecting children at our local school. This, This was last week during the bad snow and ice that we had. A lady had piled five children into her car. She had three in the back and two in the front. The two in the front sat in the one seat. I did not see a safety belt go on either of them. I know she was probably in a rush. I know she was probably under pressure. Cold weather. I wanted to get the children to and from school as quickly as possible. And I know parenting these days can be tough. But it struck me, says Arthur, what if something happened? If there had been some kind of skid on the road? I'm just wondering what others, other thoughts others' thoughts would be on this. And I'm also would like you to give it as a word of warning uh, for parents. Now, 
do I assume that this lady normally doesn't have five children that she doesn't all five children aren't her own she was obviously just helping out somebody because of the cold weather was that it and she was offering somebody extra lift home because I take it nobody is bringing three the three children in the back would be okay because they'd all have safety belts but I take it nobody is putting two children into the front seat without any of them either of them wearing a safety belt or maybe one put the safety belt on I take it it's illegal for two even smallies to sit down and put a safety belt across them because they certainly wouldn't be safe. You were right to be concerned because last week with the snow and the frost and the icy conditions there was quite a few accidents even like little tips in your missus but you suddenly break or skid and those two small ones oh it doesn't bear thinking uh, what could have happened does anybody else notice that and does anybody else notice that on the school runs people are piling too many children into the car obviously helping out other neighbours I'm, I'm assuming or family members is the reason for it and Nancy says Patricia I was watching a show on TG Cahar called Fjordscale They followed cows and sheep making their journey out of Ireland. It was the treatment of the animals, especially once they left the EU and were brought to Egypt and the other countries. These are live animals outside the EU. Uh, Shocking. I I didn't see it, but I know John Paul sent me on a link to it last Friday. And when I saw that the link was animal cruelty, hands up, I didn't look at it. I I, I couldn't look at it. And then I didn't see the programme either. But I take it, Nancy, from your call you were shocked uh, by it eighteen fifty three 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 one zero three. if anybody else happened to see that programme on TG Cahar and it is to do with the live transportation of animals out of this country and out of other EU countries uh, to the Far East it seems they are treated in a, a dreadful condition doesn't even bear thinking about when driving past this is from oh, somebody signed OC when driving past road surfacing work at Barley Hill slash Derry in the Roscarbury area one evening, I saw wet patches on the new gravel base. When passing next morning, the wet gravel was removed and coarse chips or hardcore was in the same patch. I wonder, was a drain put in to remove the water? A farmer would dig a drain to dry a wet patch on its field. Will the same patches of finished road be good or as full of potholes as it was before due to the water underneath, says OC? I don't know, but OC, we often get reports in of people saying that the pothole was filled in and there was there was water, there was nothing done about the water and the reason that the water got into the pothole and then lo and behold, within a month or two, we would have people back on saying just that, that the pothole is back and back ten times worse. Okay. This is the Court Today replay on C103. Annalise Dressel, the Health Hub Times Square in Balancholic, uh, joining us. Uh, good afternoon to you, Annalise. Good afternoon. And we will do our very best, but we are just inundated with questions for you. Let me start with a question on cholesterol. Um, I'm trying to reduce my cholesterol, says a texter. Is it okay to take cod liver oil? And what about lamb's liver and palm oil, as it's in so many foods? Advice, please. Yes, yeah, so. Um, so. Definitely the cod liver oil is fantastic because it will help also to bring up your good cholesterol. So we have two cholesterols, HDL and LDL. LDL is actually a protein, but it carries cholesterol that we make in our liver 
to all the different cells around the body. And then HDL is a little protein that goes around and picks up all the cholesterol we don't need and brings it back to the liver to get rid of it. So if you've got very high HDL, it means that your body is very good at getting rid of cholesterol from cells that it doesn't need. So um, cod liver oil will increase that. Um, it's also great for, um, you know, for vitamin D as well, and it's lovely for the skin and the bones. So there's a few reasons to take it. The second thing then, lamb's liver is, I think liver is an amazing food, and I'm a big fan of lamb, um, of liver myself. I love it. It's very naturally low in fat, and it's full of iron, so it's really, really good for um, the blood. And it's very, very nutritious, very lean protein, and it's a great one if you do a nice onion gravy. Uh, it's absolutely delicious. Um, I think it's fallen out of fashion, but I think we should bring it back. And then the third one was palm oil. And there was a big fright about palm oil about a year ago. Um, palm oil comes from the palm fruit of, the, of a tree. And it would be very commonly used in Asian countries because they grow a lot there, obviously. So, um, look, I don't think it's like butter and it's like coconut oil. All of these are quite high in saturated fat. So if you're really, really looking to bring your cholesterol down, take all of those out of the diet and switch it over to olive oil instead. But I think if you get a good palm oil that's organic and hasn't been genetically modified, um, it's just as healthy really as any of the other ones. I think part of the problem is the processing of palm oil makes it quite unhealthy. And then cooking the, uh, sat- the polyunsaturated fat at high temperatures is also very bad for cholesterol. So you should never cook with, you should never fry with sunflower oil, canola oil, sesame seed oil, hemp oil. All of these will become badly damaged by the heat temperature and they're actually worse for you than the saturated fats in terms of heart health. So avoid cooking with them, just use them on your salads and breads, etc. Okay, because there's, there's quite a few questions, a couple of questions in on cholesterol. With somebody else has got a cholesterol reading of 7.1. Is it possible to bring it down without using statins? And are plant steroid supplements effective? Yes, um, yes it is. And yes, plant steroids are very effective. Um, look, Patricia, I'm a big... Um, sceptic of the whole cholesterol thing at the moment. I mean, it only went, it used to be six in Ireland with healthy cholesterol before. And um, when the patent ran out from the statin companies, the uh, the reading, the recommended range went downwards. So now they're selling more statins to more people for a lesser price, but they're making even more money at that level. So Sweden still have 6.5 as healthy cholesterol. You need to look at the breakdown. I had a customer during the week who brought her results in and her good cholesterol was so high that her cholesterol was high. But if she had actually, bad, you know, if she had far lower good cholesterol, she would have been within range. So she would have looked good to the doctors who wanted under five, but actually her, her good cholesterol was, is what's keeping her so healthy. So make sure you look at the breakdown and you don't want your bad cholesterol to be more, that's the LDL. You don't want the LDL reading to be three and a half times more than your HDL. So if you divide your LDL reading by your HDL reading and you get 3.5 or lower, that's where you want to be. OK, we've got somebody contacting us with a problem with their tongue. Is it a, is it a fizzard, fizzard tongue it's called? It's got little dents and grooves. I'm wondering, is there anything I can take to try to improve my tongue's condition? My diet is generally good, so any information would help, please. Yeah, so Chinese medicine, Patricia, used the tongue as a diagnostic tool. So they'll get people to stick their tongues out and they will make, you know, various different health decisions for acupuncture or herbs based on the state of the tongue. 
So there's a few things I can remember about it. So like that kind of scalloped edge can often be, um, you know, a, 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 a liver or a, a liver issue. If you have a crack down the middle of your tongue, that might be a digestive issue. If you have a very red tip of your tongue, that could be a heart issue. So um, it could be something that's actually underlying in the health that's causing the problem as opposed to a dietary deficiency. It might be um, something to do with digestion if your digestion is poor. But there is a problem. Uh, one of the side, sorry, one of the symptoms of a deficiency of a B vitamin is called glossitis, which is a kind of a red pitted tongue. So if you take a good quality, high strength B complex for a month or two and see does that resolve it, um, it could be a deficiency of that. Otherwise, um, take a look at the digestion. Okay, because somebody else says my husband suffers from ulcers on his tongue. He's tried lots of things. He's even been to a consultant, but nothing so far has worked. The consultant told him that he has too much acid in his stomach and gave him tablets, but they were of no use. Would appreciate any help yeah. from Annalise. I see that quite a lot, Patricia. Um, a mouth ulcers are little blisters on the tongue, so it could be a number of things. Um, now, the very most common thing and the first thing to rule out is that you're not, he's not allergic to sodium lauryl sulfate in the toothpaste. So I would switch to a natural toothpaste that has no sodium lauryl sulfate in there. And there's neem toothpastes that are very naturally healing and disinfecting for the mouth. And the lovely thing about these toothpastes as well, Patricia, is that they do get rid of bad bacteria, but they encourage the growth of the healthy bacteria that we want in our mouth to keep our, health, uh, our mouths and our gums healthy. So that would be the first thing I would do. The second thing it could be is, might be a kind of an allergic reaction to something. Often citrus fruits can be the cause or sometimes for some people it could be berries are the cause. So take a look and see, remove those perhaps from the diet and see does it improve. And then in terms of treatment, you could um, maybe try the colloidal silver spray. It's great for healing and for kind of taking the pain out of things. It's perfectly natural. You can buy it in most health shops and you just spray a little bit of it in the tongue and that can often help heal them up very quickly um, so at least they're not as painful and you can eat. So try the combination of those things and in my experience, nine times out of that ten, it clears it up because it's a very common problem. Could you ask Annalise, please, what she recommended a few weeks ago for faster healing of a broken bone? I was talking about Comfrey the Herb, Patricia. Its yeah. own name was Knitbone. And uh, Dr. Dealish Clare does a lovely bone tea that has got that and a few other things in there to help heal bone. And I explained when I broke my own wrist there uh, before in September, I took the um, the bone set and it worked very, very well for my hand. I took the cast off after five weeks and my hand was feeling really good. Which so, we're not recommending for everybody Which to we're do. not recommending. <laughs> Although actually I have to say I read a study there last week that said actually it seems to be four weeks um, oh. is... is, is now they recommend it. But I think if you're a bit older, your bone will take longer to heal, Takes, so yeah. it wouldn't be recommended for that. Okay, Lisa says, morning Patricia, enjoying the programme. Thank you for that. Uh, would you mind asking Annalise, what would you recommend for IBS? I try and eat all the right things, but I often get very bad pain. Any suggestions? Uh, welcomed. Always enjoy. Annalise thinks she's a fantastic person. Have a nice yeah. day. Thank, Thank you, Lisa. Thank okay, you IBS. Much. So IBS is a very difficult one, Patricia, because there's not a one thing that causes Basically, it isn't really any, it's not a thing anyway. It's just that it's an irritable bowel. So it's um, a collection of symptoms as opposed to, you know, catching, it's not like ulcerative colitis or, or Crohn's disease, which is autoimmune. So really the, the key to figuring out irritable bowel is figuring out what's irritating your bowel. And my, in my experience, there's three common causes. 
The first one is that you're intolerant or allergic to certain foods. Now, it's most likely to be an intolerance or a sensitivity because an allergy is generally picked up. So um, the, I do the tests here, Patricia, the blood tests for food intolerance, and the most common one that comes up all the time is egg. I know people would always think it would be gluten, but actually egg comes up for, me, for my client, people more than anything else. Dairy is another big one that people are intolerant to. Pea, peanut, and then gluten and yeast. So those foods would be very common intolerances. So maybe try cutting those out of the diet. The second thing I think that can cause IBS is um, having overused medications like antibiotics. So what's happened is you've got a complete imbalance of the good and the bad bacteria. And the more we learn about the bacteria in our gut now, the more we learn that they play a role not just in our digestive health, but even mental health and otherwise keeping us fit, you know, keeping us slim and healthy. So I don't think that we can underestimate um, the damage that's done by an antibiotic to all the good bacteria. So you could take a probiotic, um, a very high-strength probiotic, and see would that help. But if you've kind of been colonized by some negative bacteria and yeasts that are hard to shift, you might need to give your gut a good cleanse. And if you go into a health shop and look for, um, you know, kind of a good gut cleansing product, it should have things in there like um, garlic and cloves and caprylic acid and oregano, all of these kind of strong herbs that will kill the bad bacteria, but they allow the good ones to thrive. So that would be the second reason. And then the last reason would be, um, so first reason was food intolerance. The second reason was um, use of medication. And the third one, oh yes, picking up a parasite or a bug. So if you've only developed IBS in recent years and you can tie it maybe to being on holidays somewhere, it's possible you've picked up some kind of a parasite like Giardia that rears its ugly head every now and then because your immune system mightn't be able to keep it in small numbers. And, uh, you you know, the best thing to do to find that out is to do a good stool test with your doctor or with a health practitioner. OK, and by the way, Heidi wants us to uh, remind listeners that uh, the petition for the supplements is up to nearly 25,000 signatures. So, so keep it going. That's the one that's online trying to get people to uh, trying to get the government to change their mind about the VAT. Fantastic. I mean, I think it'd be such a good win for the government as well, Patricia, to, to um, you know, to uh, VAT exempt it. And this Friday... Uh, we're having a Black Friday in health shops. A lot of health shops will be having posters outside and really trying to push, you know, the support of... Uh, getting the message out to people. Getting the message out yeah. to people, exactly. OK. I have a gallbladder, says... I had My gallbladder removed, says a listener, and I've put on weight. I take a digestive enzyme and probiotic. Please don't say cider vinegar. Just can't take it. I need to lose weight for a wedding. Please help. OK, so um, now... I don't know if the weight gain is as a result of gallbladder problems because generally if your gallbladder is is taken out and you're not digesting your fats, they end up coming out in the stool, um, which you'd know you'd probably have very kind of pale coloured stools that might be a bit loose and very smelly and sticky. So that would mean, that would actually mean that you'd lose a bit of weight because you wouldn't be able to absorb your fats. So I, I don't know if it's that the whole system maybe is sluggish and constipation could be an issue there. I find that the dandelion and artichoke um, combination is brilliant for kind of stimulating the production of bile and getting everything moving. So that might be something that could um, could help for weight loss. Unfortunately, there's no magic answer, as I'm finding out myself at the moment, trying to lose a bit of weight. The older you get, the harder it is to, um, to lose weight. To lose it. And really, yeah. I think you just have to go hungry. Yeah. 
Yeah, yep. which, and which is and that's a tough way to lose weight. Uh, Texas says, hi, could you ask Annalise uh, any help for very painful hemorrhoids? I'm having a flare up at the moment. I used to get a great natural cream called H Care years ago, but don't seem to be able to get it now. Any advice appreciated? Yeah, actually, Dr. Dealish Clare does do a pile cream that I have a lot of young mums coming in after childbirth. Um, very buying. common. Yes, very, very common. Very, very painful. Now, piles tend to be as a result of straining. So one of the most important things is to make sure that you're having a nice um, loose, not loose, but a nice soft bowel movement is the right word for it. So take something like psyllium husk, add it to your, your breakfast cereal in the morning. It's a kind of a fibre that attracts and pulls water. So it can bring form to a loose stool and it can soften up a hard stool. It's a great one, I think, to keep things moving nice and smoothly um, and naturally without losing, you know, any muscle tone in your bowel. So try that to make sure things are working from the inside. Take a probiotic or take probiotic foods to get the good bacteria working again. And the Dr. Dealish Clare Pile Cream um, is very, very effective as well. Okay, Martin in West Cork says, would you ask Annalise, please, is it too simplistic to say that if you watched your nutrition and your diet and focused on nutrition and diet, that generally one would be healthy? There would be less need for hospitals, nurses and doctors. Is that being too simplistic? Well, I think he's dead right, Patricia, because I haven't had to go to the doctor for an illness. I'd say maybe for, I I do go regularly just for, you know, women's checks and things like that, but I haven't had to go for sickness more than once maybe over the last 15 years. So I definitely think diet and natural supplements as well. It's not that I don't take anything. If I feel something coming on, I'll dose myself up with stuff here um, to to boost my immune system. But it is uh, most of the health issues we're seeing like type 2 diabetes, heart disease, um, even a lot of arthritis is down to people being overweight. Um, I do think that, you know, somebody was saying to me recently, why do you think there's so much cancer? I think that's a massive dietary factor there. Plus, I think what we're spraying on our food, stress is a big factor in life that has nothing to do with diet, but has a lot to do with lifestyle and how you manage your lifestyle and exercise is a great stress buster. So I would be fully in agreement with that. Okay, and we are, we've, John Paul is just telling me we're going to do a questions and answer session again with you next week because there's just so many questions uh, coming in today. We have the hope of getting through them all. Could you give the name, the toothpaste again that you recommended, please, as a texture? Well, any, any natural toothpaste will work so long as it doesn't have sodium lauryl sulfate. But there is a neem toothpaste that I find is particularly effective and it is by a company called Theraneem, T-H-E-R-A-N-E-E-M. Now, it's not cheap. It's 1085, but it is really, really nice for keeping your... And if you've any gingivitis or gum disease, that's another wonderful one for preventing that as well. The bone tea that you mentioned, a listener says, would that be a good idea for older people to drink it? Yeah, it's great for anyone with osteoporosis, Patricia, because, you know, doctors still haven't seemed to get it that by giving people high doses of calcium, it's not really fixing the osteoporosis problem. What we need is some the whole the whole picture, really, that puts the calcium back onto the bone. So that's what bone tea will, doesn't do. It, it encourages the calcium onto the bone to strengthen it. So fantastic for anybody older and anyone with osteoporosis. OK, you spoke about statins. Can you take cod liver oil if you're on a statin? Somebody yes, else absolutely. wants to know. The only thing that would be um, a no, uh, you would say no with uh, cod liver oil or any other fish oil is if you're on warfarin or heparin, those blood thinners, because they thin the blood. They make the blood, if you actually ever take blood from someone who's on 
fish oil, you'll see it's beautifully healthy and red and nice and thin, so it's flowing beautifully through veins. But if you're on warfarin or heparin, it'll it'll also thin your blood. So um, aspirin as well, I suppose. For some people, if they're on a low-dose aspirin, they might get away with it. But just check with your doctor first. OK, we'll wrap it up there and we'll come back to this next week. Annalise, have a great week and Thanks, we'll talk to you next Monday. Take care. Annalise uh, Drussell, the Health Hub Times Square in Balancolic and our apologies. We didn't get to all the questions. I know people get very disappointed, but we did the very best that uh, we could uh, do. Now, that's where I leave you for today. Before I go, do I have quickly time to mention this? I've been asked to send greetings from Clonakilty. Congratulations to Jimmy Healy for winning the first heat of the Irish Heart Foundation's over 60s talent competition. It was held last night in Glen Rovers. Uh, the club looked after everybody very well and they had a wonderful night out. So uh, congratulations. That's why I leave you. Thanks to John Paul. We'll talk to you tomorrow at 10 o'clock on the line. Patricia Messenger. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.